You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Matt Smith. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 160 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in the kitchen studio, as always this week, is my co-host, Matt Smith. Well, hello, everyone. Are you all right there? Yeah, sorry, I, I, I was a bit distracted. <laughs> I was busy pressing wrong buttons and everything. Matt's, so got, a new, uh, Matt's got a new toy I know, for I've the touchscreen. I've got, I've got a new pointy screen. thing. I'm very excited. A plastic pointy this thing. This is it, a plastic. It's, it's revolutionised he loves it. the, the touchscreen world that is is the vMix software. And it saves me cleaning the greasy screen later with glass cleaner. I don't know what you're trying to, <laughs> what are you trying to insinuate there, Carlos. I mean, honestly, how rude. I know. So <laughs> welcome, everyone, who's joined us this morning uh, for a, a different time uh, of the show for this week. Uh, oh, there's mum in the background. <laughs> Hello, the mum. Floor, bless her. It's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, I, this is this is how horrible he is. You see, his poor mum has got to come to work and clean the house on oh. on Good Friday, ladies and gentlemen. That's that's excellent parenting right there. <laughs> so it's April the fourteenth. It is eight minutes past ten in the morning. And uh, welcome to everyone who's joined us in the chat room. We've got uh, Adam Spink, our host on mm. Monday at London Heathrow. Yes. I, th- I think he's you, about to head off. He's going to head off soon. Yeah, we've. Got Don Sebastian, the pre-buy guy. He's uh, over in the in the US there, uh, joining us very early in the morning where Don is. We've got Jenny in Rome. She's joined us this morning. Good morning to you, Jenny. Liz Piper over in Toronto. Good morning to a very early morning for, I know. for Liz. It's uh, we've got some some bloke called Pilot Pip. Don't know who that I've is. Heard of him. He's yeah. he's a he's a rum one. Yeah. And we've got Ray Davis has joined yeah. us today because Ray can actually join us because it's not minus not, fifty yeah. in the morning no, where indeed. Ray is. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, morning to you. And we've got our host at Pittsburgh this year mm. or next week. Uh, no, sorry, next month next even. Week. Next month uh, at Pittsburgh, <laughs> I, Rick I've Bell. I've calculated incorrectly if it's next week. Yeah, Rick Bell's in the chat room. Yeah. And we've also got APG royalty as well. Dr. Steph we is in the chat room with us this morning as well. Uh, so good morning to you. I think Steph's off to the gym in the moment to do a 468,000 mile run. Well, she can listen to us on run. the treadmill, can't she? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, man. But we have got a, um, a news-packed show this week. We've also yeah. got loads yeah. of footage as well from We, we can't go to, to one of our guests at the moment because they've got a mouthful of food. So oh, much. yeah. <laughs> but we've got a news, news-packed show this week. We've got our, our footage from Heathrow as yeah. well, which is awesome, yeah. which Matt has spent the last uh, week mm, frantically putting together. Mm. But we've got uh, a couple of guests joining joining us we this have. week yeah. for the show and uh, we've got we're bringing back uh, our good friend uh, from Harpjet yeah. who's a cabin crew from Harpjet so good morning to you Owen good morning guys how are things good good right, it's very kind of you to join yeah. us this morning Owen I know it's uh, an early start for you but you're, you're used to early starts yeah, yeah, a little <laughs> yeah. bit. <laughs> and and also, Rather unfortunately, but there you go. I I heard I heard this morning from your, yourself that you went to my my second home this week. Yes. Yeah, I was in Malta on <sighs> Tuesday. I think had a plane full of people all going to the festival that's yes. there. So mm. that was an interesting flight to say the least. So what what did you think? I mean, I know you didn't get to see much of uh, apart from flying over and landing at Luca, but. Uh, uh, what did you think of the uh, the huge island of Malta? I didn't see much of the island. I'd be perfectly honest. With you. <laughs> yeah. so, no. However, it is beautiful tarmac. Yeah. The, the 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 airport is beautiful. Yeah, the airport looks stunning from from airside. Mm. 
Mm. Yes, I bet. Yeah. Well, lucky you, Owen. <laughs> oh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, Harpjet will let you uh, stay there for a, a, a little bit longer than just a. You know, yeah, a, fingers a crossed. Quick stop. Now, um, uh, those of you who are watching on YouTube will have probably noticed that uh, in the bottom right-hand corner of Owen's <laughs> picture might have been uh, someone else who is a regular to our wonderful little show. And of course, we had the great pleasure of spending some time with the legend that is this man uh, it, uh, on Monday at Heathrow, uh, who and he also did some excellent interviews. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome the legend that is Pilot Pip. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for inviting me along. A pleasure. A pleasure. So, where are you today? Are you anywhere glamorous and exciting? I am about as glamorous as it gets. I'm in uh, London Luton. Oh, what a treat. Oh. <laughs> or, just, or just Luton, as the locals call it. Yes, oh, okay. absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, I came in last night. I got a free morning before we head off again this afternoon. You've had a bit of so, excitement yeah, as well as this week, haven't you, Pip? You said uh, you've... Uh, You've, you've flown a, a certain plane out of somewhere for the last time, was it you were saying? Yeah, earlier? that's right. I'd probably talk about it on my next upcoming yes. podcast. But yes, we were up at, um, well, it goes by many names, Horton or Chester or Broughton. Uh, it's the big Airbus facility um, up just on the, the uh, border with Wales. Anyway, it's where they produce the Hawker 800 or the HS125 and have done so for over 50 years. And I didn't know until we got there yesterday, but we were flying out the very last ever Hawker 800 to go through there. Uh, the mm. facility's closing down after oh, more than no. 50 years. That's so, so uh, yeah, it was kind of sad. Um, so all the guys were there to see us off. Bit of a, a bit of a fanfare. It's very sad for them, of course, because most of them are now looking for new work as their uh, really? employer goes out of business. Yeah. So yes. a sad day, but uh, so have you? Are yeah, you still? Nice are you still going to be flying the Hawker Pip, or are you, are you, are you now going to be changing over to the uh, the Phenom? No, it's still the Hawker for a little while, mm. at least until October. Oh, good, good. That's good news for you then. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah I mean, the Hawker's still going to be around for a while. It's just mm. not going to be going through that particular centre up at uh, at uh, Harden, which is a shame. Cheers. Right, so we thought we better get some news underway. Should, yes, really, absolutely. We? Yes. So uh, we're going to start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt, I certainly am. Yes. And if you're ready, Owen. Yep. And Pip. Huh? Easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> So kicking off this week's first news story on the Forbes.com website, and it's a story that when I when I was looking for stories last night, up until late last night, every single news headline mm. and everything was had some kind of story or something that talked about this particular incident that happened uh, with United Airlines with the uh, with the guy being dragged off the aircraft, and it was just it's, the the internet has gone mad about yeah, this story. Absolutely. Everyone who's anyone knows. I think even if you lived in in you know the North Mars Pole or Mars, <laughs> you would know about this story. Yeah, absolutely. So the headline on the uh, site then: the United flight was not overbooked. Airline admits. Whoa. Uh, so the uh, the well the let's be clear because words matter, especially now that lawmakers are saying they will review the case of a doctor that was dragged off a United Airlines flight on Sunday. Uh, the flight from Chicago to Louisville was not overbooked and no passengers were denied boarding. The latter part of that sentence should be abundantly clear by seeing the videos of David Dow being hauled off his seat. 
On Tuesday, United appeared to acknowledge that this was not technically an overbooked flight, and the reason for that uh, uh, is also clear. The uh, the four airline employees who needed the seats presented themselves to the gate agent after the flight was boarded. Uh, they were not fair-paying passengers, therefore not booked. Uh, some argue this uh, passing of words is irrelevant, that the airline's contract of carriage is meant to be applied more broadly. Not true. Uh, airlines are required to present bumped passengers with uh, the written document explaining their rights. I would not uh, bet on the success of a legal argument that begins what the document intended to express. So beyond the shock of seeing the brutalization of an airline passenger mm. and our ongoing concern that Dr. Dale was, uh, gets justice, why should the rest of us care whether this flight was uh, or not overbooked or booked? overbooked or not, uh, technically or otherwise. The very weekend of Dr. Dao's unfortunate brush with too many passengers and too little seats. Another trending story detailed the case of a family travelling to Florida who were offered so much money to voluntarily give up their seats they made $11,000 and canned their plans to travel. By coincidence, I read that story as I waited for my later flight. The, read, the uh, writer of this story says... Having been bumped off of an American Airlines flight for $500, and they also asked 10 people at the airport as well um, to do the same. Uh, this kind of voluntary giving up of seats works well for the airlines and airline passengers. Well, it would do if you'd been given mm. thousands yeah. of dollars, I suppose. Um, but the the article goes on. Apparently, I mean, the stories that I was reading online says that um, they, I mean they're going to sue the airline. Mm. Well, uh, and I, I, to be honest, in some respects, I don't, I don't blame. Them. I mean, it, it is a logistical, it is a PR nightmare, isn't it? There's no two ways about it. It's been a completely ballsed up story all mm. the way along. Really, the video, I mean, the video is hideous to watch. Yeah, I haven't know? played the video because, no. frankly, it's been, <laughs> it's been everywhere on the media. Yeah. There, there's no need. I mean, my, my issue, as I said, well, and this this story is worrying. Whether saying it wasn't actually an overbooked flight, that that. That worries me I've got to be honest mm. but um, the thing is is like if, if it is an overbooked flight I don't understand once you've gone through that departure gate and you are on that plane uh, you know your opportunity to to remove someone on the flight surely has passed I mean I'm gonna have to uh, throw this over to the experts on on this one but I mean you know I can uh, you know people being bumped off flights happens all the time um, it is a common place you know well, I understand why they overbook because you you know you need the flight to be full in order to make it worthwhile etc but um, I don't understand why any of this took place within the airplane. Mm. Surely, if those people were late arriving at the gate, there was the, the crew, staff. The, I know, crew, but yeah. if the crew arrived mm. late at the gate, I'm sorry, their opportunity is gone. I suppose you don't get this hassle, do you, Pip? Because uh, obviously, you've you don't have to kick people off to put other people on your aircraft because they <laughs> they have literally brought the aircraft to uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's theirs for the day yeah no we, yeah. we don't have to but we do regularly give them a bit of a slapping right okay. <laughs> yeah, make yeah, sure, yeah. They, they yeah. Make sure they don't feel too comfortable yes <laughs> <laughs> no not a problem for me i'm i'm sure maybe owen's uh beaten up the odd passenger in his time yeah, yeah. How, how are things I, with, I, I, with i wouldn't jet? say that <laughs> no um we don't tend to overbook our uh our flights by that many i think the maximum is three if i'm not mistaken i could be completely wrong with that um but tends to be that uh we rarely get the amount of people that have booked onto the flight including crew you know we we get some we have 189 passengers in our in our 737s mm. uh and we frequently get booked figures of up to like 195 no. or so passengers uh we can only take up to 100 and, uh, i think it's 192 
fair paying passengers. And then anything after that is crew. I mean, I, so, I, uh, my issue with this is I get that people have to, you know, I mean, crew have to be moved from one part of the network to another to either relieve other staff or whatever. I get that. That's fine. But it's just the whole thing. Surely the one thing that, you know, if it is a flight like that, the, you don't expect the crew to be late to the gate. So, I mean, well, they, I, I think also there's, um, I'm, I'm very surprised that they didn't put them sitting in jump seats or into the cockpit, maybe. Yeah. Um, because... That, that's what we do if if yeah. the if the flight is absolutely full mm. and there are people on what we call duty travel on on travel yeah. that needs to be done for the for the company yeah. um well then they get put into either the cockpit or into one of the flight attendants jump seats and so, so throw I'm, on a high vid vest i mean yeah. I'm, I'm beginning to think that maybe there is some piece of the jigsaw puzzle missing in this story that i yeah. dare say will come to light at some point but uh, the whole thing is a very very bizarre uh, and I'm, i must admit I don't, I don't think i'm speaking out of turn i don't think mum will say say this but mum was very intrigued to know why this particular individual was singled out as the one person that, that was one of the things that was said that, on social yeah. media what i'd like to know as well yeah absolutely yeah. i mean for me there there's an issue there why was that particular mm. individual chosen as the one person to leave the plane i mean it may be a completely random process i, I think I, this I this story is going to be in the news for at least a, a few more um days Months. or weeks so let's move on to yeah, the next okay, story enough, which yeah. uh, is yours matt yes and, uh, this it's is bit, uh, well it's a it's a it's a ryanair story oh really Okay, aviation network is the st is it right? Uh, uh, oh right, <laughs> excellent. That's good news for a change. Ryanair to open first <laughs> Spanish sea check facility. What's a sea check facility? Come on, Pip. What's a sea check facility? Come on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, read good. the story, damn you. Okay, all right, fair enough. <laughs> Moving on. London Ryanair plans to open its first I'll Spanish sea check maintenance hangar at Seville Airport in early 2018 as part of oh, a sea check. Sorry, Matt, I'm with you now. Okay. I thought you were talking about checking things. A no, 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 no. Check. no. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. Pip doesn't. It's have a to maintenance worry. check. It's a big maintenance check. Yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> on an aircraft. I thought you were talking about checking things. Don't confuse me. It's so early in the morning. <laughs> Touche. Well played. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on. Uh, Carry right. on. Yeah, okay. Thank you very much. Uh, so it was revealed that construction of the hangar will create up to 150 skilled roles, including engineers, aircraft mechanics, and support staff. Once operational, the One Bay facility will be able to accommodate heavy maintenance, repair, and overhaul MRO checks on Ryanair's big advert in the middle. Uh, and, uh, oh, right. This requires subscription access, Carlos. Oh, no, it's one of those big oh. stories. Ah, you see, I thought this was just me. No, no, <laughs> no, no. It's, uh, anyway, we get the gist. Ryanair is uh, opening its first Spanish sea check maintenance in Seville. at Seville Airport in early 2018. They're going to need something like this. With all these new aircraft that Ryanair are going to yeah. be getting on online soon, they're going to have to have... Because obviously the aircraft they have have to go to... I forget where they go. It's somewhere in Europe they go to have their sea okay. checks done. Which is like uh, Pip said, yeah. it's like it's, it's like a call it Matt a full MOT, right? Okay. On, a, on an yes. aircraft, a thorough service, a thorough and service inspection. and inspection. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. And uh, <laughs> they're going to have to have somewhere fairly kind of centralised in Europe where they can send all these aircraft that they're going to be getting online okay. soon. So it's good as well because it's obviously, as you said, 150 skilled roles. So that's 150 yeah. staff they're going to have to employ wow. engineers. 
which is good for uh, for anyone living in Seville. Mm. But yeah, that's going to open early two thousand and eight. So yeah, I mean, I kind of hope they're not just going to pull random people off the street. No, no, uh, no, in no. Seville, in order to take <laughs> care of this. I mean, uh, you know, I, I fear there may be some sort of you know experts moving in as there'll well. There'll be there'll be experts. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Airbus have uh, have a huge engineering facility there, so if oh, there like are some Airbus. engineers there, there might be. Enticed over Tempted, by, uh, yeah, you know. to go to the Boeing side of things. Did I mention that Airbus are now my favourite aircraft? Oh, the, you, you, your lanyard says yeah. that, actually, yeah. yeah. yeah the one I bought you as well <laughs> says know. exactly the same. Anyway. So, uh, uh, Owen, the next story is for you. Next story is from Ipswich, uh, ipswichstar.co.uk. It's, a, it's and it local, says, isn't it? Up mm, the road from us? It's a little bit local, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Antonov Airlines opens UK office at Stansted Airport ahead of further growth. And it says Antonov Airlines, the air transport division of the major Ukrainian-based Antonov company, made the decision to set up its UK office at Stansted following the consultation with the Department for Internal Trade. The new office is located at the airport's Diamond Hangar, where the company currently employs 21 staff and is going to expand. Derek Noakes, a DIT internal trade advisor, introduced the company Invest Essex, the oh, to in, Invest Essex, the inward investment arm of Essex County Council, as well as DIT inward investment experts. He said, by collaborating in this way, we were able to demonstrate Antonov Airlines to Antonov Airlines that Stansted was the ideal location for them. And that the move there and the ongoing support will be seamless. We played a leadership role in bringing together the expertise needed to help Antonov Airlines set its up, set up its UK operations, which included banking, legal, and recruitment services. The company business director, business Dev- development director Michael Goodsman, said the support from DIT proved to be very effective contribution to the successful establishment of our UK office. Antonov Airlines owns and operates the 250-ton payload Antonov AN-225 Myria, as well as a fleet of seven AN-124-100 freighters and an Antonov-22. The airline recently conducted one of its first charter operations from Stansted, with the cargo being a helicopter measuring almost 4.4 metres, which travelled uh, <laughs> to Southeast Asia on one of the airline's AN-124-100 freighters. The, he- the company is headquartered in Kiev and is a Ukrainian state-owned enterprise, which designs, develops and produces and maintains the a- and Antonov freighters. Antonov fleet has made 550 cargo flights to and from Britain over the past decade, transporting equipment for the aerospace, oil, gas, defence, energy and other sectors. And uh, interestingly, oh, excuse me. (laughs) Interestingly enough, I actually saw them load the helicopter, uh, wasn't last night, might have been the night before. Oh, wow. Onto the the Antonov. Uh, Yeah, they've, they've done two or three flights out at this stage because they were loading uh i think i think they were loading aircraft engines or helicopter engines uh onto the onto the first one that went out and then uh two days ago they were loading or two nights ago they were they were loading a helicopter on when i came back in wow um, very cool 
I, I didn't even realise Antonov had or was classed as Antonov Airlines, but it is Antonov right. Airlines. They were founded in 1989 at Gostomel Airport, and okay. uh, as we all know, the Antonov 225 is the huge, uh, the big six-engined, uh, mm. massive, biggest transport aircraft. It's, it's ginormous. But uh, now I've seen I've seen the um, the 124 at Stansted mm. before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they've um, yeah Antonov Airlines. We we saw the Beluga at um, at uh, yes, you did. You saw at, the Beluga, uh, didn't at, you? Yeah. Um, the Airbus factory. Mm. That, that was cool. Was, that yeah, was very yeah. very cool. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It looks like a dolphin. I <laughs> 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 can describe it. It looks like a massive dolphin. Anyway, on to the next story. Pip, this here is with you. There we go. Let me unmute myself. Unmute. Oh, very good of you. <laughs> uh, airline crew helped deliver baby girl at 42,000 feet. Aww. A Turkish Airlines crew are celebrating the safe arrival of a baby girl at 42,000 feet after a woman went into labor on a long-haul flight. Mm, I'm glad they said it was a woman. <laughs> I would know <laughs> yeah, otherwise. It's always a relief. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Uh, Nafi Dayabi suddenly had contractions while en route to Ouagadougou in Burkina Faso from Conakry, uh, Guinea. Sorry, Conakry. The plane was midway through its journey when newborn. Mm, I'm going to have trouble pronouncing this. No, okay. Kadiju. Wow. A newborn Kadiju made an appearance. Air crew who are trained to deal with such emergencies were on hand to make sure her first moments were as calm as possible and took turns holding the little one who was wrapped in a scarf. Ground staff at Burkina Faso alerted emergency services and the pair were taken to hospital once the plane landed. They're both said to be doing well. There's now a question around the little girl's nationality. The United Mm. Nations stipulates any baby born on a flight should be awarded the nationality of the airline. In this case... Uh, she would have Turkish citizenship, but this is at the country's discretion. Oh. She could instead be granted her mother's nationality or that of the country the place uh, the plane was flying over at the time she arrived. Oh, wow. That's so that is interesting, isn't it? it, did, it I didn't know that. Yeah, did it say where it was when uh, when the baby was born? When in the air. Um, in the air. I didn't see which country it was over. I know on one of the sites, they actually, um, which ran the story, they actually gave out the long and lat. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, really? For, for yeah, when the, oh, when, the cool. when the child was, yeah. which is quite cool, yeah. which will be a bit of a long for the uh, birth certificate. Where were yes. you born? Yeah, uh, north <laughs> what, what zero <laughs> three degrees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That that may generate yeah. some paperwork. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and do you? Um, I'm sure you get some pretty comprehensive first aid training. Do you have anything that yeah. might cover this? Yeah. I do Could you deliver a baby? Yeah, I probably. Wow. <laughs> no, 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 no. He'd give it a go. I'm not too sure I'd be I wouldn't want to go near that. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's I would be delegating no. straight away. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Someone else will be taking care of this. We can, but uh, and it's in our manuals, and we've we've got training, first aid training for that. But um, we are 15 minutes away from, or 15 to 20 minutes away from any airport that can take us. So we rarely have to do any major. Uh, first aid <laughs> on board of that kind. Right, okay. Yeah, for, for, that's, that's a little bit step up from first aid, though, to be fair. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean one, one has to be quite intimate, uh, I, I believe, when it comes to uh, matters of, of childbirth. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to generate a lot of paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, um, it's, it's not as bad as... Uh, it's it's actually only just uh, paperwork that 
something happened on board and that right. we opened the first aid box. <laughs> okay, right. It's, with uh, a berth, it's actually relatively straightforward. Right. It's okay. actually more difficult to offload a passenger. Right. Funnily. Okay. And, um, and, uh, what happens from a manifest point of view? Because you've now got an, ex- an, an unexpected additional soul on board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pip, do you know anything about that? Um, I'll take that as a no. no. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. You just yeah. get on with that. Yeah, yeah. He's um, sort of like, you know, it's just, you sort of wonder if customs are going to be intrigued to know how I have, it's I have, like. I've got I visions. left with 192 people. I now have 193 <laughs> yeah. I, I on board. I wonder how... Um, how premature this baby was. I'm assuming that it was because obviously there yeah, are rules yeah, regarding when pregnant yeah. women can fly. Yeah. I read that it was, I, I think that it was six weeks premature. Oh, right. Oh, that is very early. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Early. yeah. So well, 30, 34 weeks are still, I, I have to double check, but I think after 28 weeks, you need a letter. From the doctor. From yeah. the do- oh, it all gets confusing. It depends if it's one yeah. pregnancy or if it's a multiple pregnancy. Oh, wow. I think up to th- uh, mm, I so might it's, get it's after to... thirty-two weeks, you can't fly for a multiple pregnancy. Correct. Thirty-six for a single. Is that right, Owen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. And as after wow. twenty-eight for both, you need a medical certificate. But there's a right. there's a there's a lot. I mean, I mean, you, I mean, we, we you know, I mean, this is supposed to be like a, a, a nice story, and and that's that's why we're covering it. But I mean, actually, no, it's an icky like, story, Matt. <laughs> A nice it's a story. really messy I, story. Yeah. I, I just wanted to say, I, I got two kids here. I could imagine, I could imagine a, a, a baby being born on a Ryanair flight, and then after the baby's born, you get that fanfare music. Another oh. on-time arrival. <laughs> Very good, Carlos. Okay, that's that's yeah. What's the matter with you? Yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> Do you like that? the wrong side or something? <laughs> wow, that's um, that's unexpected. Uh, it would yeah. be. It would well, be obviously classic. you've got celebratory lukewarm paninis to enjoy. Yeah, uh, the baby's yeah. first meal would be a panini and, and, yeah, a, and a, 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 a star. No, not Starbucks. What coffee is it? You... <gasps> Lavanza. How Lavanza. dare you? Yeah, how Lavanza dare coffee. Yeah. Oh, there's nothing wrong with the Lavanza. Either, I know. You know. Nothing wrong coffee. with the Anyway, can we move on? Anyway, please? moving on. Yeah. So <laughs> the next story is on the cityam.com website. And uh, it's, uh, it's it's a bit of a picture story, I think, if Matt pops up. Oh, good. So the uh, the headline, <laughs> Simba Sleep has unveiled a high-tech airline seat that monitors noise, temperature, to create the ultimate sleep environment. Oh, boy. What a load of nonsense. Sorry, yes, carry on. So uh, the headline, <laughs> and find it hard to get settled on a long flight. Yes. Well, mattress maker Simba Sleep... Mm. Has come up with a who with I'm fed up of getting emails from. By the way, Simba Sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, come and, up and adverts in Facebook and all sorts. Oh, I'm right. sick of seeing their name. Anyway, well, their mattresses <laughs> must be good. Yeah. So they've come up with what uh, what they're calling the world's most advanced airliner seat in a bid cr- to create one that's as comfortable as your bed at home. Uh, so using sensors, memory foam, and gyroscopic movement to ensure the best chance of sleep at 36,000 feet. Simba says the seat name, the Air Hybrid, is engineered to identify and response to a nuanced body movements using a range of tech to monitor those uh, to monitor noise and temperature and light, humidity, and air particles, and respond accordingly to body temperatures that is kept at 20 at 65 degrees fahrenheit which is optimum level for a snooze uh, the design uses the brand's mattress uh, know-how featuring 2500 conical pocket springs and is responsive memory foam layers and it also features an orange light therapy system which is meant to make for a restful night's sleep 
and it could be coming to a plane near you in the really? not too distant future. Simba Sleep is in talks with commercial and private airlines to roll out the air hybrid internationally. James Cox, uh, co-founder of Simba, said we are also starting to look at how our technology can be adapted for other modes of transport, including uh, trains. So, so, you, so a seat you can sit in, and it sort of adjusts to your varying body needs. Looks, um, which yes. uh, just looks expensive, Carlos. I'm I mean, that seat lie. looks. I, I must admit, that seat looks huge. <laughs> yeah. I it mean, also looks expensive. It does look <laughs> expensive. Yeah, they, I and don't, something that I'm not ever going to be able to afford to go anywhere near. I don't think you're going to get this in economy. Do you, do you, right, not e not even no, premium economy. Not even premium. No, right. I think this is going to be a definite <laughs> business class seat. I think then. Right. Perhaps to the business. Point, Possibly first. First, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I they need them so. on the flight deck for the for the uh, for the crew. I think. No, I think they have enough. <laughs> they need them in the cabin yeah. for the crew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they have enough to do. Frankly, uh, the pilots. I don't think they should be having a lie down at all. Frankly. But no, Emirates, Emirates have yeah. those massage seats in business, which are really nice. I quite like. Right. Them. Okay. What? Yeah, right, yeah, I need yeah. to get myself on an Emirates flight. Yeah, you do. <laughs> it's only yeah, a few yeah. quid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a sure people then people give you the money. Yeah. Um, yeah. So moving on to uh, <laughs> to the next story, uh, Matt. This one's oh, for is you. Oh, it me? Oh, I've got to do some work, have I? Yes, oh, unfortunately okay. you have. Oh, yeah. Uh, right. Okay. So uh, I'll press some buttons then and make 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 the right camera come up. Shall I? Uh, Boeing's. This is on the Seattle Times website, and the headline is Boeing 737 Max 9 completes um, two and a half hour first flight. Ooh, very exciting. Uh, the plane, which rolled out over, uh, which rolled out of the Renton factory last month, cruised back and forth across Washington State before landing at a Boeing airfield. The first flight of the Boeing's 737 Max 9 took off at 10:52 a.m. Thursday, piloted by uh, Boeing Chief Deputy Test Pilot Captain Christine Walsh, and headed north over Lake Washington into partly cloudy skies. The plane, which rolled out of Boeing's Renton factory on the 7th of March, flew across Washington State for about two hours and 45 minutes before landing at Seattle's Boeing Field, where its flight testing uh, will be based. The f uh, flight covered more than 800 miles and reached a top altitude of approximately 23,500 feet and a top speed of 328 knots, according to the tracking site FlightAware. Sunday marked the 50th anniversary of the original 737's first flight. Uh, the I thought it was a 747. What's that? The first flight. They were celebrating 50 years. Of no, 73. Oh, my apologies. Uh, this version follows the MAX 8, which uh, by next month is expected to be delivered to its first airline customer, probably Southwest. The MAX 9 model is al almost 9 feet longer than the MAX 8's uh, 129 feet um, hello, somebody's about to be rung. Is that you? Somebody's being rung, are they? What's going on? Is that Pip, by any chance? <laughs> no, I you. promise you, it's not me. I've got my microphone <laughs> muted. Owen's <laughs> laughing. laughing. It's now. Owen! Look how guilty he looks. Yeah. It's oh, not me, I've got my microphone muted too. Um, oh, that was, that was Owen's gift to you. <laughs> Oh, you little! <laughs> oh, what the hell was that for? A APG, uh, APG have got the uh, the rickets for uh, for Miami Rick. So uh, oh, yeah. Owen has very kindly given you. the story. It, uh, Owen has very, very kindly given I'm you the. I'm um, literally grabbing my phone, thinking, "Well, because it was <laughs> next to my computer." I don't like you. 
I don't like you anymore. <laughs> I'm not oh. going to finish reading the story. Anyway, basically, Air Max 9 is, uh, is, is now out for testing. So there we are. That's the end of the story. I'm going to go away well, and salt Well, you'll be glad to know, Matt. It's clear Max 9 has sold poorly compared to the Max 8 or the A321 Neo. Right. Because your Airbus okay. is now your favorite model, right? That is true. Yeah, I love yeah. anything to do with Air, Airbus. Yeah, it says true. here that yeah, some, yeah. some of the Boeing aircraft... is dead to me now. It says that some of the aircraft <laughs> buyers have said that the prospect of the Max 10 has clouded the picture for the Max 9. I reckon the Max 9 is going to end up being like the, the 737-700, which was like one of Boeing's sort of so, poorly... Yeah. Uh, it was kind of a. It was the version of the seven three seven that the airlines thought. Oh, I can't be bothered with buying that. We'll buy an eight hundred rather well, than to the seven hundred. You could almost say that about the A three eighty because there is only really because it's basically Emirates are about the only people that are sort of. No, I know there's there's a lot. There's quite a few of the big airlines have got the A three eighty, but it's mm. as we've talked oh, about before. I think before, Nev will be disagreeing with quite, you there. Oh, will he? Oh, okay. Because yeah, BA, BA have got uh, oh, have quite they? a few of the okay, 380s. Oh, right, but enough. no, I see your point, Matt. They're, they're not, you know, it's it, the A380 is a niche aircraft. You it know, is, you yeah. Can, I mean, it's a stunning aircraft. And, yeah. and that that's one of the things which, I mean, you know, from when we were at, uh, at Heathrow uh, on Monday, the, the thing that blew me away is you've got a little sort of like 737-800 type equivalent sat on the tarmac. And then her. in front of it on the taxiway, yeah. the taxiway was an A380. And you just look at it and think that it's just like, it's it, it's so tiny, the little mm. 73. It's so small. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I need. I need some tablets. Or well, with a, a, prox- uh, uh, a prospect of Max Ten, that might take over the seven five. Yeah, um, I think yeah. that they've. I think Boeing have done the seven three seven Max, the, the ten, to kind of fit into that, the the hole that the seven five seven is sort of leaving yeah. because of this. But saying that, I was at Manchester Airport yesterday morning with Adrian Meacham. You've had Meacham. quite a busy week of um, flying yeah. about and stuff, and you? Um, yeah, I've been I've been flying the last few days. It's been very nice. Oh, listen to it. Been, yeah, it's been in the uh, been in the air about the Cessna Cessna one five two air about, and uh, yeah, we we were at Manchester Airport yesterday, and there was a couple of seven fives uh, in there. One of them was a Jet two. Um, seven five seven two hundred, and the other one was actually the aircraft that Matt's flying out to Pittsburgh in uh, next month. And that was a United Airlines seven five seven as well. Was uh, was flew into Manchester yesterday morning, which was I, nice. I, I to wonder see. what sort of treatment I can look forward to seeing as I'm flying. With Hideous! United, I, can't, I can't Hideous. wait. I really can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, I'm gonna. You should you should have given me a call, uh, Carlos. I was at Manchester Airport all yesterday. <gasps> oh, no, oh no! Could have come along and had lunch at the rather nice hotel I was at. Oh, we were in the uh, we were in the viewing area where yeah. the uh, concourse. No, well, I would have come and joined you even better. Yeah, 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 yeah. it was it was cold. It was really cold standing there. <laughs> it's, Man- it's Manchester, of course, it's cold. Yeah. But it, we we saw the uh, actually we saw the A three fifty nine hundred come in. Singapore Airlines flew in yesterday Singapore, morning. Singapore, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we I got some great pictures of that, which I'll get on the uh, the, the PTUK Facebook page at some point in the next Good few days. You. Thank you. And uh, we saw the Emirates A three eighty. Uh, take off yesterday oh. to Dubai. Uh, that left yesterday morning. We saw. Got some pictures mm. of that uh, taking off. Well, we won't go into uh, too too much detail with that because obviously that's coming up in, in a later episode. in a later episode. We've got yeah. some video and stuff that Carlos shot that I yeah. I have yet to. I've had quite a busy day, weeks worth of editing in my defence. So it's just uh, tried to get that done. Yours is nearly done, by the way, Pip. Your video version. Yeah, I was going to start making uh, complaints. Yes, that's fine. Yeah. So the next <laughs> well, story. You'll, you'll forgive me if I focus on our own show first. I'm very sorry. Uh, Neville was able to send me the stuff the same day, you know, Matt. Yes, I 
know, but Neville's a lot better than I am. <laughs> so. He certainly is. And Nev- Neville hasn't got loads of jobs given to him by me. No, no <laughs> to do. You, you have no idea how much work he's given me for, um, for, for friends of his as well. Videos I've got to edit. But anyway, by the way, uh, Owen, you're next. Uh, All right, and this is from Russiavians. Oh, I don't know how to say this. Russia Avian Russia- Insider. Russia Avian. There you go, Russia yeah. Avian Insider. Yeah. Um, and it says Aeroflot takes delivery of its 24th 737-800 a Boeing 737-800 narrowbody tail number VP BML landed at Moscow's Sherwin Pip (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry what? (laughs) airport on April 11th the airliner which arrives straight from the manufacturer's production facility is intended for Russia's largest carrier Aeroflot it will become the 24th of the type in the airline's fleet. The Russian flag carrier is boosting capacity in advance for the summer high season. And the latest delivery was preceded by two others less than two weeks before on March 29th and 31st. No information is available on the newly delivered aircraft's cabin configuration. Airflot's Boeing 737-800s are normally fitted with 158 seats, 20 in business and 138 in economy. The airline has ongoing 737 new generation or next generation contracts with two letters, Avia Capital Services for 50 airframes and SB Leasing Ireland Limited, a subsidiary of SB Esber Bank Leasing. Um, I'm so glad you've got this story. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Airflot also operates the Airbus A320, A321, Narrowbodies, the A330 and Boeing's 777 wine bodies and the Sukhoi Superjet 100 regional jets. Yeah. And they've also so, uh, got 22 uh, 787-9s on order, Aeroflot. Uh, on their order list. 22 of those on order um, which are due for delivery. It's t- actually to be confirmed that one so they're going to get those at some point soon. But uh, they've got, uh, yeah, they've got, they've, they've kind of got rid of all their tuple off aircraft now, Aeroflot, all the one three fours, yeah, one five fours, yeah. Towards, I, I uh, think they still Airbus use them on the on the domestic routes, but for the international stuff, they've um, got Boeing's and Airbuses and is and that just stuff you would recognise? Well, I, I don't know for sure, but I would um, think that's um, you know a commercial decision. I you know probably you and I would not perhaps feel. As comfortable getting on one of those old right, two pull offs right. or something. So I've done it. It's probably just an image thing. I could be wrong. I don't know for sure. Many years. But they ago. certainly use those old old uh, things with all the black smoke coming out the back. Yeah. See nice. them around quite a lot, but they're on the uh, you know inter Russia uh, flights. So next story moving on is for you, Pip. Brilliant. Uh, this is called. Um, well, it's from the LiveMint.com. Yeah. Airbus faces setback as Delta reviews $14 billion world wide-body jet order. Ooh. Yes. Uh-oh. Yes. Uh, Airbus SE's expansion into Boeing's home market faces a potential setback as Delta Airlines reviews a $14 billion purchase of the European Playmaker's two newest wide-body models. The Atlanta-based car- Delta Airlines. I've never heard of them. No, really I've never heard no. of them. No. R- r- rumour has it they're all right. I, I, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Only all right. Uh, the, uh, the Atlanta-based carrier, known as an influential and shrewd aircraft buyer, Ooh. is studying its twin-aisle orders amid signs the long-range market is saturated. 
uh, says Ed Bastian, Delta's chief executive officer. Uh, he said that during a quarterly earnings call Wednesday. Okay. While he didn't name Airbus, Delta has no twin aisle orders pending with Boeing, according to the U.S. company's online database. And he says, we continue to see excess capacity in wide bodies as we look to the future for the industry. Adding that Delta, which has orders for the Airbus A350 and 330 Neos, is in discussions with plane makers. We continue to look internally as to what that means for Delta. You could anticipate some reductions, I think, broadly over the next several years. Uh, word of the review intensifies concerning that demand for long-haul planes is weakening as a long as a long jet buying binge draws to a close. American Airlines Group last year deferred its A350 order, while United's Continental Holdings said it may swap its 350 purchase for smaller planes. Oh, this is a very long story. <laughs> Do you wish me to go on? I think I think we've got the gist of it. I think. <laughs> So basically, Airbus are probably not going to get this order, and they're, they're going to yeah. obviously move to Boeing Excuse and purchase Boeing aircraft. Delta are, I'd imagine, you know. No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I, I just think they're just going to stop buying planes. Uh. <laughs> no, Delta, Delta need to actually, in all in all seriousness, that we we saw a, a Delta seven six seven flying to uh, Manchester yesterday, uh, very, which is probably the the one or very near to the one that we flew back from Vegas on last year, and they are. They are fairly long in the tooth now. I think they're seven six sevens that uh, Delta have got. So, so they're hopefully going to uh, get rid of some of these, the uh, and replace them with nice Dreamliners. Right. That'd be kind of okay. nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They're made by Boeing, <laughs> aren't they? Yes. So the next story is on uh, the uh, Runway Girl Network site, yeah. and uh, 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 Mary Kirby, and uh, we uh, we all know Mary Kirby. We've all heard of Mary Kirby. Produces the uh, Pax X podcast. Does, yes. Very good show. Mm. And uh, the uh, well, the headline: Heyco and Airbus solve emergency kit stowage problem. So, Airbus and Interiors manufacturer Heyco or H E H A E C O are offering a new solution to the problem of emergency equipment, uh, crew bags, and other non-passenger items taking up overhead bin space with the centerline ceiling stowage compartment an unsnappily monikered storage option that is much more exciting from a passenger experience perspective than its name suggests. Worldwide, the crunch uh, on overhead space for passengers' cabin bags is getting more problematic for airlines. In several regions, uh, particularly in the United States, this is driven by the amount of passengers that bring on board uh, cases while storage for crew bags, emergency equipment and in-flight entertainment systems and other items are not required to be accessed in flight compound the problem. Uh, for business and first class passengers in particular, where one or even two rows of overhead storage may be taken up with airline equipment, not having anywhere to store their bags is a reasonable complaint. One of the reasons for passengers pa uh, paying a premium fare, either with cash miles or part of their loyalty perks, is not to have to hang around the gate waiting uh, for the, uh, the running of frequent travellers' bulls down the airbridge once the agents start boarding. The centerline ceiling stowage, or CCS, compartment comes in two sizes, regular and large, to accommodate a range of equipment and baggage. The CCS is designed to hold crew luggage on board, wheelchairs, life rafts and other emergency equipment, among other items, and the compartment is offered 
uh, with uh, in, uh, two positions for the A320 and three positions on the A321. The ceiling compartment will be compatible with fixed and pivoting bins and will also be available as a retrofit option through an Airbus service bulletin modification. An Airbus and HACO statement explains that uh, with careful uh, professional stowage each compartment offers roughly the equivalent size in storage space to an A320's current generation overhead bin. Wow. They're very ex uh, ex excited and pleased and fortunate to be selected by Airbus to provide this ceiling storage, which is something that actually is actually an idea that we presented a couple of years uh, ago at Hamburg. Uh, so the Senior Vice President of Engineering and Product Development, uh, Joe Pevidia, uh, tells uh, the uh, Runway Girl Network, we started to work with Airbus on this particular application on the Airbus A320 family of aircraft and finally we've arrived at being awarded the line fit and retrofit programs. We're very pleased to have that, Pedro says. You can simply see, I don't know if Matt, if you put that picture on the screen, there's a did. picture yep. on there of uh, this yep. the storage bin here mm -hmm. with the uh, with the life raft actually in. Indeed. Uh, do you find on, on the, uh, the 73800 uh, that you fly, Owen, with Harpjet, that uh, you, you have, I mean, you're, you obviously have crew baggage yourselves. You guys have your, your bags yeah, yeah, and yeah. carry-on bags. Well, we're not allowed to put ours into the hat bins. Uh, unless it's a deadhead flight and we have no passengers so uh it goes it goes uh behind bar boxes and trolleys and basically if we can get them behind the bar you can bring it on board um so a lot of crew have bags that are way too big to be <laughs> to fit in the overhead lockers but uh we put them behind the bars and a lot of crew have bags that are absolutely tiny that you can fit behind the small bar boxes mm. um yeah, so it, we we don't take up any any overhead bin space with crew bags. Uh, do, do you think Do you think this design will work? I mean, it's a good idea for sure. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 you know, there's a lot of dead space in in parts of the aircraft where you could put these storage bins and, and store mm. stuff. Yeah, like that. I mean, it 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 is a very good idea. Um, but the only things that we have in terms of emergency equipment that's in the half bins is our oxygen. So I wouldn't really fancy putting oxygen into the ceiling above passengers' heads. Well, I suppose, I suppose it's canisters, just... Yeah. yeah, I suppose it's... it's I suppose it's, for Pip, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, he's, he just slings his stuff in, you know. <laughs> plenty, plenty, of, plenty of room in the hawker, Pip. Yeah, I just throw it in and yeah. to hell with everyone else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. It's all about you. Um, absolutely. Yeah. I remember you were saying... I don't on, on... get this story, really. I mean... They're saying it's it's designed just for emergency equipment and um, and other stuff. Well, that's already got a place to live, does it not? I mean, the rafts are built into the doors. Um, yep. You know, if I would suspect these are just there to design to allow more passengers to to bring their bags on. But mm. God, I, really, do we want more bags on in the cabin? Mm. Yeah, How about this? I've got a radical idea. How about Whoa. designing some sort of room underneath Break. the aircraft? You could call it a cargo hold. <laughs> right, okay. Put all yeah. the bags in there. <laughs> genius. Pip, you're a genius. This could Quick. take on. Pen <laughs> immediately. Patent, patent that idea. Yeah, absolutely. Patent this, that idea. This could be an award-winning... Pip, you're going to be rich. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just, honestly, the airlines are just shooting themselves in the foot. You know, if you don't want so much stuff on board, then... Let people put stop it in the, overcharging. The whole for free. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I suppose the yeah. trouble is, is that, I mean, I, I use yeah, the minute you've got baggage handlers and or you know, you know, Swissport involved. Yeah, there but are it's, obviously it's, fees. It, it makes no difference where it goes. It still weighs the yeah. same. So the economical penalties 
uh, same whether you put it in a bin or, or into the hold. Yeah, but you you then have it's to pay silly. someone to put it in underneath, don't you? Was where the passengers do it for themselves. Well, or they're you... putting stuff in there anyway. Well, true. Yeah. Now the next story. Pete. And actually, most airlines don't charge to put it in the hold anyhow. No, no. It's... I do, I do on have on. one other question about this: is how do you open it? Because in the picture, it looks like you open it just by reaching up to the panel. But a lot of those overhead panels are quite high up. You know, those uh, where the 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 exit sign is above the hat yeah. bins, and a lot of crew they they can reach the hat bins, but the the yeah. top of the ceiling. Yeah, you, you, I can't because the next alteration into cabin crew um, sizes will obviously you'll have to be at least six foot. You see, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there have to be an alteration in height requirements in order to be cabin crew. Anyway, on to the next story. So the then. next story, yep. uh, sh- uh, this would have been you, Matt, but yep. uh, I think this story is a good one for Pip to read. Right. Um, it's uh, it's a story I think uh, sort of goes alongside with what uh, Pip, you know, flies the aircraft that he flies. So he's going to know a lot about this. So, so Pip, if you wouldn't mind taking the next story, which is on the AINonline.com site. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm I'm pleased you gave me so much notice of that That's story, fine. Carlos. Yeah, I know. It's given me all the time in the world to pull it up on my iPad here. Okay, good. Here we go. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on, first, babe. First, oh, this is a good story. First, Egnos aided approach lands in Germany. Um, oh, alrighty. On April the sixth, a NetJet's Phenom 300 landed on runway 27 at Bremen Airport in Germany after shooting the first satellite-based augmentation system, or SPAS, instrument approach in Germany, marking the first time that a passenger aircraft flew the EGNOS-aided approach and landed in the country. The SPAS system for Europe is the European Geostationary Navigation Overlay Service, or EGNOS, which supplements GPS and other satellite navigation systems to provide position accuracy to 1 to 3 metres from GPS's typical 10 to 20 metres accuracy. Uh, the SPAS approach at Bremen is an LPV 200 procedure with Cat 1 weather minimums of 200 feet, uh, so 200 feet decision height and half mile visibility, uh, so 550 metres typically. We use metres in Europe, not miles. Uh, notably, SBAS approaches require no go-around infrastructure once the geostationary EGNOS satellites are in place to supplement the GPS signals. Uh, that's an odd sentence. I'll come back to that one. <laughs> okay. Well, GPS is the yeah. uh, American satellite uh, GNS system. That's what they like their brand name, GPS. Right. And EGNOS, if I got this right, EGNOS is the European satellite system okay so it's another brand name so egnos is a brand name gps is a brand name right and they're both gnss systems global satellite thingamajigs okay. anyway i'm rambling in the medium and long term dfs is planning on making more use of satellite-based navigation for approaches and thus create an alternative to the traditional ils cat one said uh, andre beastman director of airspace and ans support of the german air navigation service provider Deutsche Flugzeugstrung. Be- beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> I studied German for many years. D- clearly, as you can tell. yes, absolutely. It's all in the phlegm, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, NetJets, whoever they are, have equipped the majority of its Europe-based fleets with EGNOS receivers. Cool. Oh. 
used to me. <laughs> Last year, NetJets worked with DFS to test ground-based augmentation system GBAS approaches as part of the Augmentation Approaches to Land project. Wow, I didn't, know, I didn't know DFS, that's a sofa, isn't it? That sounds very comfortable. Uh, indeed. <laughs> uh, in May 2016, Europe's first LPV200 approach was implemented at Paris Charles de Gaulle's runway 26 left. And so I this think is that's the end of the story. Assist, is this a system and you're, you, you're uh, aware of them, Pip? Yeah, so um, we've got GPS approaches or GNSS approaches, uh, which are approaches like using your, your sat-nav in your car. Okay, so the GPS guides you around. It's not based on any ground-based um, uh, equipment like an ILS or a VOR or something like that, okay? But that only has an accuracy of so much, mm. say that much, yeah. okay? You can then augment that signal. You can correct for the, for the errors in the signal with something called SBAS, which is satellite-based augmentation systems. This is a, a, a bit of software, essentially. Um, satellites working together to reduce the error from that to that. Wow. Okay, so it's a more accurate thing. Then so on top of that, another um, evolution of that is GBAS, which mm. is ground-based augmentation systems. This is a little thing somewhere on the ground near an airport. It could serve several airports within, a, I think, about a 30-mile radius, mm. which then gets the error from that down to that and you can start Goodness. to do all sorts of crazy things like making curved approaches and and uh, all wow. sorts of weird and wonderful things like that um, so this has been kind of in the background for years and years and years um, but Germany in particular actually have been at the forefront of of designing and implementing uh, all these uh, all these GPS based wow. approaches uh, so I mean it's basically sounds like it's it is the future then by the sound of it and obviously oh, I'll for sure, in 10 years' time, no one will know what the heck an ILS is. No, okay. <laughs> ILS, yeah. what the hell is, is this, that? Is this, yeah. mainly, is this mainly for, for ease of flying, Pip, or is this more of a safety uh, safety feature? No, it's more of a capacity thing, really. Um, as I say, with, with this GPS stuff, or with the augmented GPS data, you can design um, all sorts of approaches. So instead of just a long 10-mile ILS mm. final approach, you could have a curving Okay. Thing. So you can start yeah. so noise abatement, for instance. You can design approaches that go round sensitive towns and cities. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you can really use the airspace to a yeah. much greater capacity. Okay. There you go. You heard Good. it first here. Absolutely. So yeah. yeah so yeah, the, yeah. the Phenom three hundred, which uh, someone I know very well will be going to soon, i.e. me. Uh, the Hawker doesn't <laughs> have it. Right. Uh, we can do GPS approaches, but none of this uh, fancy SBAS and, and GPS stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's uh, a brave Sounds new world. Good. Oh, good. Okay. So, so the next story. The next Matt... story. We're gonna we're gonna um, read the next story out towards the end of the show actually because it ties in nicely with um, uh, some of the video that we're we're playing a little okay. while with due to our visit at Heathrow. So uh, Owen, if you wouldn't mind taking the last story, please, and that okay. is uh, if you could just sort of read the introduction, please, to our top, top ten. So. This is from today.com, and here are the best 10 airlines in the world. Given the recent news about a United Airline passenger being forcibly dragged off a plane, like we said at the start of the show. No, nobody's heard of it. I don't think they'll, I think they'll get away with it. It'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Many travelers are wondering which airlines they can trust. Luckily, TripAdvisor has just announced the winners of its first annual Traveler's Choice Awards for airlines, revealing travelers' favorite carriers in the U.S. and around the globe. 
Well, and I think that's about as much of an introduction as 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 we need. So this is, need. This is TripAdvisor yeah. then. So uh, so the top ten airlines in the world. Uh, and we're going to go. We'll, we'll take one. We'll take one. We'll take one each, guys. We'll let Matt do all the, yeah, the so pressing yeah, of buttons and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So when you're ready with the music, Mr. Smith. Okay, here we go then. So straight in at number ten. At number ten, it's Guarda Indonesia in in Indonesia. <laughs> and uh, number nine, please, Owen. It's Alaska Airlines, United States. Uh, number eight, please, Pip. Uh, number eight, it's a new entry. It's Thai Smile in Thailand. Oh, oh isn't that nice? Uh, in at number seven, please, Number Carlos. seven, J-A-L, or Japan Airlines in Japan. Splendid. Uh, number six, please, Owen. Number six is Korean Air, South Korea. Brand shiny and in at number five, Pip. You know them for their crazy safety videos. It's Air New Zealand. Yeah. In at number four, please, Carlos. It's everyone's favourite in the US. It's JetBlue. Uh, number three. It's another blue airline. It's Athul in Brazil. Highest climber in our chart this week, Pip. They're based in Singapore, so rather imaginatively they've called themselves Singapore Airlines. Really, very, very clever. And no surprise, really, I guess, as we pass <laughs> over to Carlos. The in at top, and it's been number one for a million, gazillion, trillion years. It's the world favourite, then, top ten airlines of the world. It's, of course, Emirates Airlines in the UAE, United Emirates. Uh, Emirates, yeah, there we go. The largest operator of the Airbus A380. And just as a, an offshoot from that, on the uh, it says the class of server. They do an award system for the class mm. of service global winners. And they class uh, the winners in best first class, best business class, mm. premium economy, and best economy package. Mm. And their uh, best economy pack uh, class uh, package is uh, Emirates, funnily enough. Shock horror. Uh, their yeah. best premium <laughs> economy class in the world is Air New Zealand. Mm. Um, this is a interesting one their best business class voted for is aeroflot russia okay. cool. Say what? and uh, <laughs> their best first class is obviously emirates shock horror so yes, yeah, absolutely. yes can we can we just go to the chat room for a second and oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. go to nev yes uh, yeah nev where, where's ba in this list oh, oh they're, come on. they're not That's even true. in the top 10 oh, anywhere no. <laughs> Get it sorted, Nev. Yeah, absolutely. Because he is entirely <laughs> and directly responsible for all Actually, British Nev, Airways operations. Nev has just said <laughs> BA doesn't need to enter the top ten things. Okay. They've been asked not to enter them because they are so good. Okay, mm. yeah, all right. We'll, 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 we'll ignore that, shall <laughs> we? we? Go. Uh, moving on. Uh, yes, so uh, in the subject of moving in, uh, moving in, moving, moving on. In? Uh, as moving in, I many mean? of you are probably aware, I'm sure you were following uh, all our progress as we went uh, to... We were, oh, several London of us, Heathrow. Several of us took a little trip to Heathrow, and uh, we were greeted by what I can only describe as the nicest man in the entire world, which is the legendary uh, Adam Spink. And we had, uh, I think it's safe to say, Pip, uh, a, an absolute incredible day we had really. an amazing day at yeah, Heathrow yeah, yeah yeah Adam if it you're listening it was a fascinating Adam, visit yeah, yeah and it, it was, was a fantastic wonderful work. host yeah and yeah. I think one of the things that I mean because we sort of came up in the inside elevator didn't we and we opened the the lift doors open to a view uh, now I mean I've been to London do you want to see the video I, oh, have you oh did you take one 
Yeah, oh. I got it right here. Hang oh. on, give me a second. I'll just hold the, hold it up to the the camera. We'll okay. just carry on. We'll just carry on. Yeah. So okay. talk over me for a second. Okay. I got it here. Consider it done. No, we, um, we, we got given a choice of two lifts. We did, didn't we? Yeah, to absolutely. enter the control tower. Yeah, absolutely. One with glass I'll, I'll play it whilst you're talking. Okay, knock yourself out. And yeah, uh, yeah we, we went uh, on. We had the internal lift going yeah. up, didn't we, we did, to yeah. the control tower. And then uh, you can see... Pip's going to put the video on. For those of you on YouTube, you can yeah. see on the uh, okay. Pip will put on his camera. I'll, I'll send it to you to edit into the show. Perhaps. So we had. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 Do that. Yeah. So so just put. So put we had the internal lift. Live, yeah. We had the internal lift going up on the way to up to the top of the control tower, which was amazing. Uh, anyway, and look at, um, that. look at that view on the way down. Oh we had, my goodness! We had the glass elevator, we which did, took yeah, us down absolutely. from the top of the control tower back down mm. to the ground floor. Oh and my God. it's you know it's just yeah. it was amazing it was amazing you, you're sort of going down the lift whilst watching aircraft yeah. taxi below e you even for even you know I'm the first to admit I'm not the biggest AV geek in the entire world um, but that view when those lift doors opened and you just you're yeah. just there yeah. in Heathrow's air traffic control tower it's just quite possibly the uh, the most mind blowing experience. Of my life, that I should just apologise. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a little hoovering going on upstairs. We haven't got a fault with our mics. <laughs> no, there's, it's not. There's, there's a little bit of um, industrial behaviour going on. So uh, I we're going to we're going to play the yeah. interview we took uh, yeah. with Adam uh, at, yeah. uh, at Heathrow, and then straight after that, because uh, Nev was there as well. Yeah. Um, the video uh, there, we, we've got a uh, we've got Nev's interview to play yeah. uh, as yeah. well. So we're, we're so I hope you enjoy these. Matt's been, yeah. Matt spent an absolute age putting these videos together because <laughs> yeah, it took yeah. a lot of syncing audio and visual. Yeah stuff to put absolutely. together so like to hats off easy, to uh, yeah. hats <laughs> off to matt he done an absolutely fantastic job so when you're ready matt let's uh, let's show these guys what we done yeah here we go so th this is it uh, let's bring on adam here we go so welcome then to this special part of the show uh for the plane talking uk podcast uh i'm here with uh, neville bounds and matt and pilot pip and the person who's organized everything for us today here at london heathrow so welcome, Adam Spink. Thank you. And uh, thank you ever so much for sorting all this. It's okay, my today. pleasure. My it's pleasure. Been, uh, it's been, we've had a marvellous tour of, uh, well, of the ATC Tower and everything that goes into, well, it goes into running a day-to-day -day, uh, day here at Heath, London Heathrow, which has been busy, I think. It's, we've uh, seen quite a few uh, yep. aircraft yeah, taking off and landing today on just our short brief time up in the tower. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're going to ask you a few questions then. Okay, uh, I'll attempt to show. answer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so how did it all start for you? Where did your sort of aviation passion start, uh, Adam? Um, from a very young age, um, I, was, I used to live under the approach, when I was a very small child, under the approach to Plymouth Airport, which sadly is now closed. Um, so I used to see aircraft going in there. Um, I've always been interested uh, from that point. Um, I did a little bit of flying when I was at school. Uh, my parents got me a few flying lessons for birthday presents, etc. Um, and then at the point where I was deciding, should I go to university? Should I, you know, make that decision? Um, my dad actually saw an advert from Nats in the newspaper and applied for information uh, about that. Um, and then I got that information packed back and thought that that sounds quite not something I'd thought of before, um, but that sounds really interesting, sort of behind the scenes work in aviation. Um, so I um, finished my A-levels and applied to Nats and went through the selection process over a period of about six, seven months. Um, and then, you know, I got through that successfully and, and joined Nats as a trainee controller. 
So what does it take to become an air traffic controller, Adam? What, I mean, qualifications-wise, because a lot of people might think you need yep. a thousand A-levels. That's GCC, a very good question. What does it take to become um, ATC? Not as much academic success as you might think. So the, the requirements for being a controller is you need to make decisions quickly. Um, you need to be able to problem solve, um, which are not directly correlated to academic success. So um, A-level, you need to have done some A-level study, but that's it. There's no requirement for a degree. Uh, basically, it's more about your character and how, you, how your mind works is, is, the, is the most important thing to be a controller. Well, so when you actually apply to Nats, you just you obviously go through a selection process. Yes, and it's quite a, quite a comprehensive set of tests. Uh, the first stage is, is various, um, I, th I mean, it's all computer-based now. When I went through <laughs> back 20 years ago, it was paper-based. Um, psychometric tests, um, verbal reasoning, spatial awareness. So there's a, there's a classic example of uh, three-dimensional uh, objects that have been flattened out into a net. So it's as if somebody's cut up a three-dimensional object, laid it flat, and you, the questions are such as the, if the side marked A is at the bottom, which side is facing up? And so it's, it's testing your ability to manipulate objects in three dimensions and that spatial awareness, which, which is quite important. Um, so there's a, there was a, a series of tests like that, and mental arithmetic as well. Um, and then for me, there was a second stage which uh, was computer-based. So you'd have various uh, scenarios of almost like a, a radar screen with aircraft flying across, and you had to predict which ones would, would collide, and then give information and instructions to, to alter that outcome. And at the same time, there were mental arithmetic questions appearing along the bottom of the screen, almost in an attempt to distract you from the main task of the test. So it was, it was testing your prioritization as well. After that, after you're successful at that stage, then I went along to an interview center with, with a controller, uh, with two controllers actually at that point, um, who had asked me various scenario questions. And they're not looking for knowledge. Again, it, you go to the college to learn about ATC. They're looking at how you make decisions. Um, I actually used to work for our recruitment team as well, so I used to interview new candidates. And again, as I said, it, it's not looking for do you know everything about air traffic and aviation already. It's about how you make decisions. So you'd present a scenario and the candidate would, would answer what they would do and then you would introduce more information to see if they change their mind. Or you, the worst case scenario is you, want, you don't want somebody constantly changing their mind but also you don't want somebody so set in their plan that they don't take on new information to, to alter that plan. So it's trying to find a happy medium. So that process, that whole three, four stage selection process can take you know, quite a few months to get through. And then once you, you're successful at that, that interview stage, then, then you get given a course date to, to start at, at the college, which is now in Southampton. Do you think having an aviation you know, interest mm. You know, beforehand helped you with all the yes I think so a lot of the certainly when you get to the college a lot of the the initial stages of of the the training course are you're taking on a lot of knowledge you're taking on aircraft types and characteristics and and what's the typical range of a 737 and what destinations does a 747 fly to you can learn that but if you know it already then it gives you a bit of a head start in, in a lot of the theory work that, that underpins you know the, the practical application. So from start to finish then, so from the minute you apply and you're going through all your courses and you're taking mm -hmm. all your, your tests, when, how long is it from the start to when you're actually sitting in the chair? 
controlling? It, it will vary depending on, on what type of course you're, you're, you're studying at the college. It could be as little as a year, maybe 14 months. It could be two years, maybe more. Again, if you do an area course, you'll end up working at Prestwick or Sonic Centre. That training course is longer at the college, so you spend longer, longer at the college there. If you're just doing, going to work at a control tower, it's a shorter course, so you'll get out into the, into the real world. And sooner. what are the age limits like for, um, for doing the course? I mean, is there an, uh, a lower? You're not going to have a, there's a lower age limit? Yeah, there's a, there's a lower age limit, and I, th I think it's 18, um, but I think you need to be 20 to, to have uh, obtained a radar license, so that might affect some at the very early stage. There is no upper age limit. Oh, good. So, so, so we'll expect your application yeah. in next week. <laughs> Even at four, uh, fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, great. I exactly. mean, we've had we've had people at Heathrow who, with previous aviation experience, but who have arrived in their forties and they've qualified as controllers. Do you tend to find there's a lot of pilots come into this job who are kind of retired or? N no, no, not, not. No. I mean, there have been one or two, but mm. but generally not. No, no. So on a day-to-day -day, uh, basis, and your job here, Adam, what, what do you do here? So my specific job is I work in our ATC operations department. Um, I am an air traffic controller, so I do work in the, in the control tower, talking to aircraft, um, maybe five or six shifts a month. Uh, but most of my work is actually in an office, um, liaising with airlines who operate from Heathrow, um, other air traffic units around, the, around Heathrow, uh, the airport operator, Heathrow Airport Limited, um, and our colleagues down at Swanwick, um, developing new procedures, new equipment. Um, so it's very interesting from a very detailed background point of view that, that I, you know, I have that interest in. Are there any big changes that are happening at the moment in the in the kind of uh, air traffic control? <sighs> yeah, system? well, there, we're working on a few at the moment. Um, there's, um, and I know I described it earlier, TBS, time-based separation. So. At virtually well at every other airport around around the world, aircraft are separated. Arriving aircraft are separated by distance. We now separate those by time, so we alter the distance between them depending on the strength of the wind um, to maintain the same time separation. And we're looking at developing the next stage of that. So I worked for around about six seven years on the introduction of TBS, which came in nearly two years ago now, um, and we're now working on the second stage where. Um, we will recategorize which aircraft fall into which category of, of wake. So we have a heavy, medium, small, light, and we're looking at recategorizing those. So rather than having an upper medium and a lower medium as we do today, uh, we will look at having a, an upper heavy and a lower heavy category. So it's, it's to try and optimize um, to, a, to a quite low level the, the, the amount of delays we incur and minimising those. As you saw today, there's always aircraft moving around, arriving and departing. So everything that we can do to reduce those, you know, the delays that we have by seconds is, is worth it. So if we can go into a bit of detail then about the kind of the stats of the aircraft mm -hmm. that are coming in and out of Heathrow each day on a, on a kind of normal Monday morning. Day, yep. How many yep. aircraft uh, coming and taking off and landing in a kind of hour, say? An so, hour so in an hour, we would generally have around maybe 40 to 42 arrivals and, and around about the same number of departures, maybe up to 45 departures. Um, and then over the day, that will mean uh, nearly 1,400 movements. So when we say movement, that's either A, takeoff or A, landing. So about 650, 700 of each. Um, on top of that, which, which as maybe we saw up in the tower earlier, 
the ground uh, taxiing flow around the airfield is complicated by aircraft repositioning from one stand to another under tow, which are generally slower than powered aircraft and usually moving in the, the wrong direction, as it were, against the natural flow of the airfield. So we, we can have up to about 200 towing movements a day as well. So for the aircraft, obviously you're controlling, you've got people that are controlling the aircraft that are taking off and landing. Yeah. Is there a separate chap who sits there or, or uh, a lady who sits there and, and operates the, air, uh, the actual ground uh, tugs and stuff? Uh, not not, not um, specifically apart from powered aircraft. So mm. we've got the two runway controllers, so we've got one controller for each runway up yep. in the tower. Uh, they sit in the centre of the tower on a raised area. Uh, so they have a better view of the runways. And then around them, on a slightly lower level, you've got three ground controllers who will each work a, a particular part of the airfield. And within that area of responsibility, they talk to aircraft under tow, aircraft under power, arrivals and departures, and also vehicles and, and other, uh, and such as the, the marshalling vehicles, the follow-me vehicles who, who we have driving around the airfield. So obviously we're here at Heathrow, we've got Gatwick which is not too far away. Yep. Do you have much interaction at all with, uh, with Gatwick? Not here at the airport. No. Um, the way that the departure and arrival routes are designed across the whole of the, the London airports really, they're all designed so that they don't interact with one another. So what if I'm sat upstairs here controlling departures at Heathrow, I do not care what this guy doing my job at Gatwick is doing. That's, that's the, the intention behind it. Once the aircraft get further into the airspace system around London, the, the multitude of arrival and departure routes, they do cross over each other at various altitudes, so it does require the, the radar controllers at Swanwick um, to, to intervene a lot of, uh, you know, very often to, to tell aircraft to stop their climb or to turn left or right to, uh, to marshal the aircraft around the skies to, to then come out of the London area heading in their appropriate directions. But as a specific to the airport, then there's no there's no real interaction there. No. So your future for yourself, Adam? What's uh, you know what have you got planned for your career here at uh, Heathrow? I d to be honest, I think I will stay here. Mm. Um, there there are opportunities to to progress, uh, you know, in, into management or um, to to move elsewhere, maybe down to Swanwick. But but I I love what I do. You know, I wouldn't want to stop working at a control tower. Um, even to the extent that I've, you know, I'm, I'm a volunteer at Riyadh Fairford now in, in the control tower at the airshare there because that's a completely different experience. Um, so I just love working at an airport and looking out the window and seeing that amazing view. For an av geek, you've got probably the best job. Uh, yes, in, in the world. yes, I do know I'm very lucky. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you find yourself when you're up there, obviously in the tower, kind of just? You know, oh, that's a. I know what that aircraft is. That's a A three forty six. It's not only in the tower. When I'm at home, like yeah. last last night, I was having a barbecue. Have flight radar twenty four <laughs> out on the iPad. So, oh yeah, that's <laughs> the the Tam eight zero eight five. He's going yeah. So it's it just happens all the time. You our look routes up and are available, of course. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of get you know what routes if you see an aircraft, you kind yeah. of well, oh, I know where that's going. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah generally. You get, yeah. yeah, and you've probably yeah. spoken to them before yourself. Yeah, very. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it is it is a, an odd sensation when. You're working towards the end of your shift, and you're talking to, a, say, a Qantas A380 or you know a BAA380, which might have 500 people on board, taxiing out, and then you get in your car, you drive out, and you see it taking off. You think, oh yeah, I was just talking to that aircraft, and there's like <laughs> 500 people in there going to Australia or something. So it's yeah, it's it's quite a rewarding feeling to to know that. You're so how many uh, hours a uh, day do you work? I mean, is it an eight-hour shift or? So the shifts are generally about eight hours long, mm. um, and the the. So I slightly different because I work in the office mainly, 
but a, a watch keeping controller would um, would work two morning shifts which are from 0700 till 1400 um, and then two afternoon shifts 1400 till 2200 and then either then two night shifts or two day shifts and then four days off um, and then just keep going on that 10 day six on four off the rotation cycle around so we've got a few questions okay uh, from some of the listeners uh, of the show right uh, the first one's from someone you probably know very well uh, Captain Nick right yes and uh, he's asking uh, which airline has the worst runway occupancy record <laughs> so that's a very interesting question <laughs> because as, as it goes back to what we were saying just now that, that every second counts basically at Heathrow so we we measure the runway occupancy which is basically the, the time an aircraft takes when it's on the runway either landing for when it crosses the the piano keys at the beginning of the runway to when it vacates or on takeoff when it lines up on the runway to when it rotates when it gets airborne so we measure those times overall and we try and spot trends so if for example when the A380 started flying into here they took a long time on the runway to line up and to, to land and vacate because they were new aircraft it's just like you if you as a, as a car driver you just bought a brand new Jaguar or something or a Mercedes-Benz you didn't want to scratch it so you you were a bit more careful with it um, as the pilots get more used to it they will they will you know become faster operating the aircraft. But it's something we do look at. We look at um, which airlines take a bit longer than others. And then along with um, our colleagues at Heathrow Airport, we would go to see that airline and say, well, you know, you, you're taking slightly longer than the other airlines that operate this aircraft type. It's not, you know, it's not accusatory, but it's can we understand why you are? So there have been cases in the past where um, on arrival, a certain airline has had a different order of checklist an after-landing checklist that they had to um, stow their spoilers before they vacated. Now, most of the other aircraft uh, air operators that operate that particular aircraft type would vacate the runway and then stow the spoilers. And that obviously slowed the operation of the aircraft down the runway, so then that airline changed their checklist to, to align with the rest of the operators, and that sped everything up. I'm not going to say who, who is the <laughs> slowest, because that would be a bit impolite. And to be honest, I don't know. But what I do know is, and I've been party to those conversations, we, we work with Heathrow Airport to, to try and ensure anybody that flies in here um, understands the possibly unique nature of Heathrow. Um, and it extends to, for example, Flybe have just started operating in the Dash 8s in here, so it's our only regular scheduled turboprop movement. Every other aircraft that we have are, are jet-powered. Um, so in terms of performance, there's a slight difference there. Mm. Um, so we've worked with, with Flybe for the months leading up to their introduction to, to brief them on what happens at Heathrow, uh, the particular speeds we would like them to fly, and, and again, a reverse process. They would explain to us what the Dash 8 does. It's been a few years since we regularly saw them here. Um, so there's always that dialogue going on and how, how to optimise the operation at Heathrow. Uh, we've got one from Paul S. Godden, and uh, he's asked, uh, when clearing a Qantas jet heading to Australia, do you feel like asking if you can go with it? Um, sometimes, yes. Um, even more so, when, when we walk in, we walk through Terminal 3, and at one of the piers you'll see the passengers and the, and the ground handling staff of the airlines. You'll often sometimes see them um, shouting down the corridor to say, are you flying to Los Angeles? Are you, are you flying to Auckland? Because we're waiting for a passenger to turn up to get on board. Um, and you, yeah, you're walking up the pier, and you do sort of feel tempted to hide your pass and say, oh yeah, that's me, yes, can I just get on the flight? 
but uh, yeah, it does happen, and it and it's and it's odd for me when I come to Heathrow to fly away on holiday. I feel really, um, it's a very unfamiliar situation for me because walking through, mm. going to my workplace but not going to work. It's um, yeah, it's quite an odd feeling. Uh, Matthew Bunting Frame has asked, uh, uh, what is one of the hardest situations you've had? Um, so I'd, I'm not sure if it was the hardest, but certainly the most memorable was when the, uh, the British Airways 777 uh, force landed due to the lack of power back in 2008. I remember that for many reasons. One, because I was the tower supervisor that day. Um, two, it was my birthday. Um, <laughs> uh, so, and, and I remember you know, being up in the tower when that happened. Uh, and that was a very um, yeah, striking thing to see out of the window. Obviously, we know everybody survived yeah. uh, with a few minor injuries, so that was, that was amazing. But um, just being up in the tower when that happened, and it, and it does remind you that we see it almost working like clockwork every day. Um, these you know, professional controllers and pilots and, and all the other ground staff are working so hard to, to keep things as, as normal as possible. But it does remind you that you need to be ready to react, and, and thankfully that's what the controller at the time did um, very quickly, and, and that's when the training kicks in. I can remember hearing the, the, the alarm going off as the controller alerted the fire service to, to what had happened. Um, and I think, of just reading the report last night actually, ironically, that they got to the aircraft within one minute and 45 seconds, I think it was. Um, and, uh, and then the, the, the half an hour after that, I remember being very busy, but I can't really remember it now. It was one of those, just the trainee kicks in, you grab the, the red folder from the desk and, and follow the checklist. And, and do the tasks, and uh, so that was a yeah, that was a very, very memorable day. Mm. One last question then before we wrap up. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you know we're in a huge airport here. We've got many, many different airlines from all around the world mm -hmm. flying in here. The language barrier is that an issue? Most pilots obviously speak English, but is is there? Yeah, it's a, it it can be an issue. But as a controller, what you would do is is modify your delivery of instructions to suit. So whereas a, a a British Airways or an Aer Lingus pilot or a Virgin pilot, you, you might give one or two, three instructions in one transmission to turn left and then turn right here and hold here. Um, with a non-native English speaking pilot, you wouldn't give all those instructions in the same go. You'd say, okay, we'll taxi to this point and then stop, and then you wait for that aircraft to, to approach that point, and then you'd give him a further. So we call that a progressive taxi instruction rather than a, giving it all in one go. Um, and the, there are very um, you know important words that we use and uh, you know you know this being a pilot yourself that um, you know the phraseology the words that we use are very specific and have specific meanings and and we need we do have to be aware that in other countries sometimes those words have different meanings so the in America their uh, method of ATC and uh, the language they use can be quite different to what we use so you mustn't be lulled into a false sense of security that just because you're speaking to an American pilot that you instantly understand each other. You need to always be careful about that. So I want to thanks, uh, thank you, Adam, for, okay. for sorting no all this and arranging all out for us today. It's been an absolutely fantastic day. It really has. So uh, from me and Matt, you know, we want to say a massive thank you for, for, you know, for allowing us to uh, look into your day-to-day -day no, no life. No problem at all. So thank Glad you very you much, Adam. No thank problem. you. Thank you. Flyby 5823, Trent Dane for 23R Manchester, Wizz Air 6X, Climb Flight Level 210, direct to Bretman's Park. 
United 123, maintain 280 knots. Turn right onto Bravo, link to one join Alpha, hold at Mora, Speedbird 472, LOC slash DME, approach runway 27 left. Follow the green stand 544. That's enough air traffic control for today, Nat. Bedtime. Hello everyone, Nev here as you can see and um, well today is Wednesday the 12th of April and uh, on the 10th of April this week on Monday um, we had a fantastic trip over to the London Heathrow Control Tower. Thanks very much to Adam Spink and the press office of uh, NATS, the National Air Traffic Services that arranged it for us. It was a fantastic day and I went down there with Carlos and Matt and pilot Pip and we did a series of interviews. Uh, Pip did a very good interview for his show and Carlos and Matt did a very good one for theirs and uh, I did one on behalf of the airline pilot guy and uh, I think you'll find it quite interesting and, and all the three interviews that we've done are, are very different in, in many respects. We, we covered a lot of ground. Just to let you know, just to set it up, we uh, went to the tower uh, first thing, uh, just after lunch in fact, and then um, we, had a, we were there for a good hour and a half actually, which was, was a fascinating uh, insight. I, fortunately I had been there before but um, the other guys hadn't and it was a fantastic experience for them and Adam was so generous with his time uh, with the explanations about everything as well so it was a really good uh, day out from that point of view and then we went into one of the conference rooms uh, next to Adam's office and we did these series of interviews as I say this one's about 10 minutes long hope you enjoy it Hi everybody, it's Nev here. Today, here I am at uh, London Heathrow and uh, Adam Spink has very kindly uh, joined us today to talk about some of the work that he does and some of the operations at Nats um, and some of the things that, that go on here at Heathrow. Thanks very much Steve for, okay. for joining us today, Adam. Um, we've had a superb tour of the, the tower. Glad you enjoyed the it. VCR, really, really interesting. I've got a few questions which I'd just mm -hmm. like to ask you. One of them obviously is that Heathrow is fairly close to, to full capacity, I would imagine, and so that flow rate is really important getting mm -hmm. getting good runway utilization and getting everybody on and off uh, at the same yeah. you know, as quickly mm -hmm. as you, you can um, in terms of you know the third runway I mean there's been discussion about this for you know 15 16 years now what sort of additional capacity would, would that offer do you think uh, well I, I believe the the intention on the part of the government is is that uh, it, it should deliver uh, up to 740,000 movements a year so Presently, Heathrow operates at 480,000 movements a year, so it's effectively adding Gatwick onto the side of the current Heathrow. Uh, that's what the, the Davies Commission uh, reported on. So, uh, yeah, so it's a significant increase in, in the operation. The, the main challenge is with the airport currently, presumably when the weather is, is good, uh, it's not such a big problem, but I guess when you're operating low visibility procedures or there's a reduced flow rate, that, that's quite challenging, I would imagine. Yes, it is. Um, being full to capacity in good weather means that when we have bad weather um, our flow rate goes down and that has a very significant impact on delays. Uh, a rule of thumb that we use if the landing rate in good weather is between 40 to 42 aircraft an hour, if the landing rate gets below 38 an hour um, generally will mean air airlines will have to cancel some of their flights. So anything that we can do to maintain the landing rate as high as possible in bad weather, we will do that. 
So, for example, um, we have reduced the, the cloud trigger. So when we go into low visibility procedures, there's a visibility trigger and a cloud trigger. We have, over the past 15 years, we have reduced that cloud trigger down to now zero, so we do not consider cloud at all when going into LVPs. And we've now fitted, uh, we call it enhanced ILS systems, all four runway ends, um, which are less susceptible to being bent by aircraft uh, as they vacate the runway, which means that rather than going to six mile spacing in low visibility, we can go to five mile spacing, which again provides a, a, a reduced impact of that, of that uh, change. Um, and, and we are, it's con something we're constantly trying to, to devise more uh, or to optimise the operation more in low visibility. You've been here at Heathrow for a long time now as an ATCO. What yes, I've, my hair's <laughs> almost gone. Yes. <laughs> what are the most, the, the greatest number of changes that you've seen? What's the most significant change that you've seen over the years? Ah, that's, a, that's an interesting question because on one hand there hasn't been much change because 20 years ago Heathrow was almost full and today Heathrow is full. Um, but for me, certainly, it's, it's the technology we use and the technology we're developing. Uh, so even 10 years ago, we, had, uh, we were running the operation from the old control tower, which has now been demolished, but it, it used to be the big red brick building in the middle of the airfield. And um, the, the VCR, the visual control room, at the top of the control tower, it was very cramped. It was probably about half the size of this room we're in now. Um, with lots of people up there um, and handing uh, strips to each other. Uh, so the way when we control, we're, we're using, uh, in the old days, it was literally a paper strip in a coloured, colour-coded holder that we would pass to each other when we transferred uh, contact of that aircraft from one controller to another. So it was very noisy, very cramped. Um, and obviously with it being paper, there was no data exchange in the background. Uh, so any data had to be written down on a strip, so you'd, you'd end, uh, when the aircraft departed, you'd end up with a strip that was all written on, it was very confusing to try and decipher what had happened. We moved to the new tower with electronic strips, so what used to be paper is now replicated in a touchscreen environment where you can have a lot of data exchange, there's messages going to the European flow control unit, uh, to other airports around the country, to the control centre at Swanwick, so the, the picture of the air traffic in, in the airport, London area, the UK airspace and the whole of Europe is a lot more accurate because of that data exchange. So, so that's probably the main change that, that I've seen and I've been part of helping to develop that. Um, and it's, and it, the pace of change is only going to you know, increase as we go into yeah, the future with new technology. Certainly as a passenger I've noticed that, you know, I mean I fly into Heathrow probably once a month, something like that, mm -hmm. and uh, many years ago I was, you know, quite often just in, in a hole for 15, 20 minutes. That seems to have reduced right down now and it's rare that I go around the hole mm. once or, or, or I twice. I've noticed the same actually, yeah. I, I fly again probably one, once a month, similar to you with, with various um, work commitments in Europe and, and it's something I've, I've noticed and remarked on as well in, in that you know we are as an as a organisation we are trying to reduce the amount of air holding that goes on. Um, it's very inefficient to have aircraft circling around London at eight nine thousand feet in terms of noise emissions. Um, the more that we can do to del if there are delays we try and delay the aircraft at their departure airport for example Paris or Amsterdam you might spend another five ten minutes on the taxiway there and take off five or ten minutes later, the theory being that when you arrive into London, you should either just do one orbit around the hole for five minutes or less than that. 
and, and come on in. So there are variables to take account of, which means we, we can't get it perfect at the moment, but we're always trying to, to, to improve that. Certainly the weather has a big bearing on that, I would imagine, course, as well. Yes. I've also noticed lots of what I would call tactical things going on with some of the larger airlines, people that have very tight schedules. They'll actually cancel the short-haul uh, sectors, um, so they won't even, they'll, they'll cancel mm. them so they don't get crew and aircraft out of position. Yes. Is, is yeah. that more and more of a, a common theme? Yes, I think so, because, because again, Heathrow is full to capacity, therefore any um, non-nominal uh, occurrence will have a big impact on the operation. Um, so it, it would be better for an airline, for example, um, to, to, like you say, to cancel a flight in advance for tomorrow, to cancel tomorrow's flight, or merge two A319 flights into one 767 operated flight, um, than wait for the event to happen on the day for the bad weather to hit us before they then cancel and you've already got passengers in the terminal. So the, a lot of what we're working on is not specifically to improve our capacity in, in terms of number of flights, but it's to improve the predictability of what's going to happen. If we know what's going to happen, we can tell the airport and the airlines, there's this problem, we're going to have a 20% reduction in our capacity in two days' time because of the weather. Start thinking about it now, and the more notice we can give people, the more rebooking can go on, the more flights. Can so it's far more joined up now, you would yes, say, than ever yes, before. Yes, definitely. I mean, we, we have... Uh, daily teleconferences with, with the airport operator, with the airlines, with the Met Office, with Swanwick, with um, adjacent air traffic control organisations, uh, even on a four or five hourly basis. So everybody should, in theory, know what's going on around them um, and adjacent to them in, in neighbouring airspace. I think it's a very interesting operation here with only the, the two runways. Of course, mm. th there was uh, a crosswind runway in the old days, uh, yes. two, three. Yep. W when that runway w was in existence, w did that have other restrictions on two, seven, right, for, for example? Yes, it, it, it was. Um, <laughs> yes, it did have a lot of restrictions on what, what we could do. When the runway 23 was not being operated as a runway, we would use it as a taxiway, and it was a very heavily used taxiway. So as soon as we brought it into use as a runway, obviously we had to, to protect it to the same level as the, the two current runways. Um, it would create a lot of ground congestion and the terminals, as they expanded outwards um, and larger aircraft would operate in, it came to the point where before we could bring runway 23 into operation, we had to remove aircraft from about nine or ten different stands on the eastern side of the airfield because their tail fins were in the protective surfaces of the runway um, and that meant we had to have more and more warning of when we needed the runway in operation and and like you said it runway 23 crossed runway 27 left so there was an interaction there and also the um, the departure uh, end so where aircraft would line up on runway 27 right the northern runway was just at the point where the aircraft arriving on runway 23 were in the flare. So you had to time your takeoff clearances so that an aircraft starting the takeoff roll didn't put full power on, create a lot of jet blast behind and potentially impact the aircraft about to come into land. So it was a very um, interesting operation to observe. Yeah, very difficult to plan for that sort yes, of thing as well, yeah. I would imagine. Mm. But, uh, anyway, I'd like to thank you very much, Ian Adam, for your time today. No it's been a fascinating in insight into uh, the kind of operation here and, uh, and, and the way it works. Thank no you very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head.com.
The Plain Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal. Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pays us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on Twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. <laughs> Well, we hope you all enjoyed those interviews because we thoroughly enjoyed doing that. It was absolutely fantastic. We had such a good day. And uh, we can't thank Adam enough uh, for his Mm. his generosity, really, and and time and and setting everything. Because it's been been a few months in the making, isn't it, Matt? It has, yeah, absolutely. uh, And also, I must say, uh, as as a matter of urgency, because Pip did uh, an interview there, as well and um really detailed it if you want to hit must. tech stuff yeah. yeah yeah it's a it's a must listen as well so uh, yeah. any idea when you're hoping to put uh, your your podcast out pip yeah i should be in the next day or so i edited it all uh, yesterday the interview um so i just got to build a podcast around it so in the yeah. next couple of days for sure yeah uh, but no, it is a, a must listen because yeah. it was it was a brilliant brilliant interview as well and uh, as nev quite rightly said obviously you've heard you've heard what nev did for apg there yeah. as well as yeah. our content and and the great thing is it's sort of three different podcasts so there really is very little overlap between what mm. we talk about what pip talks about and what um nev did for APG. i mean just just brilliant i mean uh, adam did he was so nervous blessing but he did so well he he really did really he, good he, to interview he was so generous with his and i'll tell you what well. for, for those of you guys you probably saw some of the pictures that matt put in through the through mm. the uh the interview there and the tea room where these guys mm. at matt's sit to yeah. sit and have their tea is right mm. literally airside mm. level and you're i mean we were sitting there having a cup of coffee I know. Just uh, with a, an american triple <laughs> seven literally behind us you yeah. know you could virtually lean out and, and yeah. touch it you know it was amazing it was amazing. wasn't that cool that they had a guitar in their crew room yeah, it was. Pip yeah, gave it was us awesome. a little song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pip yeah. Gave sitting us a there song. having a cup of tea, singing Kumbaya. Yeah. And yeah. He, he actually, he actually, I should just say <laughs> that Pip is actually pretty handy on the he's old guitar. He's quite good. And he sat there Ooh. playing the airline pilot guy theme tune 
yeah. on the oh, guitar. Oh, she picked up on that. Yeah, playing that bad. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It was absolutely brilliant. It was absolutely oh. brilliant, mate. It was really good. It was. It, it was. Uh, it somehow seemed very apt for where we were. I'm not going to lie. It and was... on the word of apt, oh, as yes, you just indeed. said, oh, that's, uh, that's a very clever little segue. That's a bit of segue. That, I'm proud of you for that. I am so proud of you for that. Yeah, I'm going to read that last story. Yeah, on the the first interview that you watched there with with me and Adam, you'd have probably noticed at the end of that interview, Matt put in a very uh, small little snippet video yep. from Nats of their a advert, new... Actually, yeah. It's an advert, yeah. It's an advert that they're running for a new app they've got yeah, on indeed. iOS at the moment, but it's coming on Android soon. So, yep. Matt, you've got the story yeah, on I, I, I ta- I've taken the story from um, the BT website, actually, because it, it was the best one, really. It's basically a new flight tracking app shows aircraft over the UK, and this is the amazing bit, in real time. The data that's available in this app, seriously, we had a a preview of it by mm. Adam because um, it's currently the version uh, they're still working on it um, it's in beta it's, test mode yeah it's yeah. in beta test mode and it was just absolutely I'll just point out before Matt reads the story it's yeah. very it's it's similar in, in style to kind of the you, you flight radar 24s mm. and your, you know your plane finders and stuff yeah. but this app has got just a little bit more um, well you're going to have to look and see yeah, it for yourself yeah. but Matt's got yeah. all the details well, here it's 3D, isn't it? It's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Can, you've you've got to get Rather this. than just having a plan for you, you can yeah. zoom in and you yeah. can see heights of aircraft above each other. Yeah. And I mean, Ad, really good app. Adam really showed good. us in the coffee shop before we went to the tower, didn't he? And it was just, it was, I yeah. mean, we all sat there gathered around his iPad just like, oh, yeah. that's amazing. But, right, so uh, tell, yeah, tell us a bit this, about this This is the one. reason I need to get an iPad. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I'm hoping that it'll appear on, on Android very yeah. soon as well. They are working on, on doing that. But anyway, a new app that lets users track aircraft around the world in real time has been made available to the public. Uh, using data from the UK's National Air Traffic Services, NATS, and based on its internal version, sorry, and based on its internal version of the app, a beta version of Aerospace Explorer has now gone live on the App Store, with an Android version also likely very soon. Uh, the app uses information gathered by the 23 air traffic control stations in the UK and shows real-time flight paths of the 1,000-plus planes that come into and out of UK aerospace every single day. On top of that, the app also uses external data to track flights making their way around the world. Users are able to tap on any plane icon in the UK and get detailed flight information including departure point and destination, aircraft type, altitude and cruising speed. The app also stands out because flights move across its screen in real time as well as having a 3D mode that allows flights and uh, that shows flights at their various altitudes on on the map and that's the bit that blew us all away actually wasn't it the whole mm, the 3d 3d, version, the 3D yeah. view also gives users an insight into the changing flight paths of um, aircraft as they approach and leave various airports unsurprisingly the app does not include military aircraft among its scans nat says that the app remains in beta as it continues to update and improve it and i must admit i am very very looking very much looking forward to seeing uh, the app in action this is just a, a quick um, this is the only sort of decent screenshot that I've been able to find, basically, of of the 3D version. It does. You can literally tap on the little arrow, if you like, which symbolises each aircraft, and it will give you very detailed yeah. detail. <laughs> I mean, it's very similar to um, FR24. Uh, yeah. yeah, sort of flight but radar it's 24. Just very much de- more detailed than detail, the 3D detail, stuff. Yeah. What, what, what's the app called? James? The uh, app itself. It's on iTunes. It's on the iStore. If you go on to into the iStore now, 
and it was released on the 8th of April so it's it's very very new indeed uh, if you go on to the iTunes store it's called the Nats Airspace Explorer so that's Nats N-A-T-S Airspace Explorer so if you go on to the uh, the iTunes store it's free it's mm -hmm. absolutely free mm -hmm. uh, it just requires uh, iOS 9.3 or later yeah. uh, it's compatible with the iPad uh, it's all, all. I mean, even though it's only been on the uh, the store now since the eighth of April, there's already yeah. a ton of reviews, really? uh, all five star reviews really? for the app um, from various people Fantastic. across uh, across the globe. So yeah, get yourselves over to uh, to the iStore, mm. uh, the iTunes store, and get yourself this app. Should work on your little iPod, by the way, Owen. Yeah, I'm trying to find it now, but it's not actually letting me search for the. Okay. Oh, right. Okay, splendid. Maybe not. I'm not exactly sure what's no. happening there. <laughs> okay, but, uh... fair enough. I'm, a, I, I'm clearly lying. Uh, good. Okay, well, that is, I'm afraid, ladies and gents, where we have to bring episode number 162 a close. We've got a very special day coming up tomorrow. Yeah, Me, absolutely. Matt, mm. and our guest, Owen, yeah. who's uh, with Ooh. us on the show today. We're all travelling down to London Londonium again. Londonium. I think we're going to have to go and live in London soon. Matt's got <laughs> shares. Yeah. Nev's, got, Nev's got shares in BA. Yeah. Matt's got shares in London. London. Yes. Uh, we're going to travel down to London tomorrow, and me and Owen are going to be uh, interviewing some guys uh, at a uh, fixed-based 737-800 simulator mm. in uh, in London. We're going to be uh, yeah. having a little uh, play around, and uh, yeah, it's going to be an absolutely fantastic yeah. day tomorrow. So we're going to get some footage of that, interviews, yeah. more interviews and video. So yeah, so uh, watch this space uh, for a couple of weeks' time because mm. that's probably when the footage is going to come out. Kind of way. getting a rather excited. Yeah, I like I need so to go. Exciting. I need to go to the toilet now. Do actually. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh my! Thanks for sharing. <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks for that. Um, lovely. It's all right for you guys. You're, you're nowhere near. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> absolutely. Anyway, yes. So oh. that is that. That's what we've got going coming up tomorrow. Obviously, content from that will be shared with you as soon as I've edited it and put it together, though. But I have got to do yeah, so. something for Pip first. And you've so, got to do the, uh, the footage for my flying as well, yeah, which is something so else you've got to do. Matt's got a busy few few weeks of editing. Yeah. Ahead of him by the it's just as well you've got a fantastic job now with a marvellous boss yeah okay i had a fantastic job with a marvellous boss before to be fair but this one this one this one is 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 uh, in a lovely you, you should see the area oh, that Matt works place. in yeah, it's yeah, stunning it's he's yeah. got a river Absolutely. near him and he's yeah. he's got lovely sunny tree or trees yeah, and sunny the view of the river is, river the river is lovely yeah said, it's yeah, really absolutely. nice it's so, got um, perfectly wired uh, it's got perfectly wired network ports as well because owen put them in for me so yeah no good it's good but uh don't forget, uh, everyone, to uh, keep your eyes on uh, Facebook and stuff. We'll put the links to when we'll be live uh, yeah. next week. We're going to say a big thank you to everyone who's joined us in the chat room uh, today. There's been uh, quite a few people considering we've uh, done the show at a completely different time to what we normally do yeah. uh, this week. It's yeah. been uh, good to see so many of you guys and girls across the globe joining us in the chat room today. So thanks to all you guys. And also thanks to Owen and Pip for coming on the show with us and, uh, yeah, and uh, being our... Being our very good co-host for the uh, for the show today. So, uh, yes, Owen, before we finish, I, listen, guys, can I just make a very quick correction to something I said earlier? Because otherwise, no. people are going to think I'm an idiot. No, you can't. Okay, <laughs> carry on. <laughs> no, that, that last story we were talking about the GPS stuff. I said Egnos was the European GPS thing. It's not Galileo is the European oh, GPS system. Right. Egnos, as the story correctly said, is a, a little thing within the um, the GPS network. You so, heard it here first. Indeed. So quickly before we finish, then, Owen, where's uh, next flight for you? 
Uh, next flight, I think I'm doing a French tour, so I'm going to Marseille, Marseille to Brest, Brest back to Marseille, and back to Stansted. Oh, bonjour. Uh, well indeed, done. yes. That, so, that will be and on, Pip, uh, and your Pip, where are you off uh, next uh, for your uh, next tour of duty? Uh, I don't know, actually. I've got to head down to Bournemouth this afternoon to pick oh, up lovely. another jet out of maintenance, and as of yet, I don't know where we're headed. Awesome. And Matt, you're off to London, London I believe, Gatwick, so. yes, I think. Yes, I'm off to Gatwick in yeah. uh, about sort of, well, hopefully six minutes. about six minutes' time to go and pick up. So uh, that's where we're going to bring episode yeah, 160 uh, to a close. If you want, Obviously, if you want to have, uh, you must, must, must check out... Um, uh, Pip's uh, latest episode when, Plane safety. when he releases it uh, mm. to do that obviously take yourself please if you don't know and you've been stuck under a stone then <laughs> then pack it in uh, the uh, website is www.planesafetypodcast.com as I say there is some great episodes on there already but I'm really looking forward to listening back to uh, um, his interview with Adam because it's very technical and it's brilliant it mm. really is good uh, obviously don't forget uh, Nevtech the legend that is uh, Neville Bounds and uh, if if you want to learn more about him and what he does, it is nevtech.org.uk, N-E-V-T-E-C-H.org.uk. And, of course, if you want to buy one of our marvellous T-shirts. Because three is, people have this because, week. Yes, we're Yay. doing well this week, absolutely. So it's www.plaintalking.uk. Oh, 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 hang on, there we go, there we go. Oh, oh, there we go. He's, he's wearing one of Yay. everything. Yeah. I'll put it away, Pip. <laughs> Pip, <laughs> used, Pip uses yeah, the grouting. Yeah, so, his um, uses, he, he uses his for grouting the bathroom, so we're not sending him another one. Uh, <laughs> it's... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is plaintalkinguk.com forward slash store, and that will take you to where uh, Mr. Caton is modelling the T-shirts as well as Owen. Uh, there we are. So that is it. That's where we bring episode number 160. Woo-hoo. 160. 160. Indeed. Uh, from all of us here in the studio, uh, everybody give them all a wave. It is time to Bye. say goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.